while I get settled here, um, happy August, right? Isn't it kind of strange? Um, summer is almost over, and 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 I barely thought it had begun. So, um, yeah. So I don't know what happened to June or July. If someone could find that, please, and let me know. Give that back to me. That would be most helpful. Um, welcome to everybody. If you're new, we're certainly especially excited to see you. Uh, please come see me uh, after the service. I would love to get to know you and meet with you. That would be a delight of mine. And those online, um, welcome. And if uh, you're new online, please uh, get on our website, send us an email. Uh, we'd love to, to talk to you by voice or, or by email. That would be most, most delightful. Um, you know, I say summer because, you know, I don't know if you know this, but we were going to do summer in the Psalms. Because we've had so many changes and so much things going on, kind of Psalms has come and Psalms have gone. Um, but we're going to stay focused, and we're going to do, doggone it, summer in the Psalms. And so, um, if you will open your Bibles, if you have it, and look at Psalm 1. Psalm 1, the very first of 150 Psalms. And read along with me God's word, his holy, inspired, life-changing word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruits in, in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not, sta will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Thus be the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Merciful and gracious Father, it is your word that draws us to you. It is your word that teaches us to pray, how to pray, what to pray, and Father, it is your word to know that you hear our prayers, you answer our prayers, you delight in our prayers, and so we come before you this morning asking that you would use your word to instruct us, to teach us, that we might, in fact, be changed. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You know, a few years back, I, I bought a new car, and um, you know how the new car process is, right? Where you go to the dealer and you spend an inordinate amount of time with the dealer. Uh, it seems like a good three or four days, um, and and you go over every detail, and he wants to tell you all this sort of stuff. And you know, by the time you, they, I think they try to wear you out before you actually get to the point where you're talking about the deal itself so that you would just collapse over and you're, they would use your hand to sign the paperwork. So they just keep talking and talking and talking. In this particular case, it was kind of like that. The day was going on and on and on, and I was hoping to get out. As a matter of fact, it drew so late that the dealership was closing. 
and my family was waiting for me at a restaurant for dinner. And so the dealer, after we've done all this sort of paperwork and we're ready to go, he says to me, let me take you through the new car orientation. It was dark, and it was time to go. And so I said, thank you, but no thank you. I really have to go. And he said, well, I really want to take you through the new car orientation. And I insisted, I got to go. And so he made me actually sign another piece of paper that says I have denied him the right to tell me how the car works. And so I drive away and I get to dinner and we have dinner and I'm going home and my daughter's in the car with me. And she says to me, hey, Dad, let's turn on the, the radio. I couldn't figure out how. I pushed every button I could possibly think of that looked like a radio button. I turned the air conditioner off and then back on. I actually got the windshield wipers to change. I could not for the life of me figure out how to turn the stupid radio on. But did I pull out the instruction manual? Oh, no. No, the next day I called the dealer and said, how do I turn on the radio? Yeah, it's that bad. You know, what if someone actually gave you an instruction manual? And in this instruction manual, he said, follow this manual for a lifelong and eternal happiness. Would you follow it? I think all of us in this room and online would say, well, of course we would. Absolutely we would. But would we? Would we really? Or would we simply think we don't need the instruction? I've got this. Our text today states this very idea that happiness is to know the word of God, living the living will of God, and being with God's people, and that all of this is laid out in God's instruction. Psalm 1 is the gateway into the five books of the Psalms. There are five books. Now, some might not see that in your translations, that they are separated into different books. But these 150 psalms are, in fact, subdivided. And it is meant to parallel the five books of Moses with much the same teaching. And that is that God has given us his word, therefore we should meditate upon it, live it, and teach it to others. Psalm 1 sets the foundation of the 149 psalms to follow. And in a direct literary way, uses Hebrew poetry techniques and direct contrasts to teach us this very thing. The psalmist makes it very clear. One way is the instruction for happiness. And one way is the instruction for death and doom. There is no middle ground. Our first point this morning is happiness is knowing God's word. Happiness is knowing God's word. Let's look at verse 1 and 2 again. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. 
But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So why do I say happiness when the first word of the psalm is blessed? But this same Hebrew word is often translated happy. Deuteronomy 33, 29. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. 1 Kings 10, 8. Happy are you men. Happy are you servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Ecclesiastes 10, 17. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time. There are other translations that in fact do translate this word happy. And here in Psalm 1, you can read it that way. The choice is a style. It is not a meaning. Think of it as blissfully happy. We don't usually like to use the word happy when it comes to Scripture. We often prefer the word joy. But you see, I think both can be true. It can be true that there are times when we are not, in fact, feeling very happy. Actually, there are times where we feel quite the opposite. But the sense here is that we can be happy in knowing the whole counsel of God, even in the very worst of times. Knowing him, knowing his word will give us a peace a joy, a happiness, an endurance to prosper even in suffering and difficulty. The psalmist uses three negatives to highlight who is the man or woman who is not blessed in order to draw a clear distinction. Blessed is not the counsel of the wicked. Nor is it the way of sinners. Nor is it the one who sits on the seat of scoffers. Three negatives. And by these three negative contrasts, he's addressing the very characteristics of we human beings. Thinking, behaving, and belonging. The counsel of the wicked. The way in which the wicked think. The way of the sinners, the behaving, the way in which sinners behave, what way do they go? Seat, or who sits on the seat of scoffers, the belonging, to whom do we belong to, to whom do we have our loyalties? He is giving a note to the follower of God that he should be wary of how he should think, what they should do. And who, in fact, they belong to. But how? How do we do this very thing? The psalmist tells us in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. You see, the believer delights in the law of the Lord. The law here is not legalism. It's a Hebrew word which can is, is uh, the Hebrew word is Torah, or it can be translated as instruction. The instruction of the Lord is the key to happiness. Therefore, as we see in the second half of that verse, 
we should meditate upon it. The emphasis of the word here is to bring more than just reading. It's not just reading God's word. It's spending time in God's word. It's reading it, learning it, digesting it. Yes, I read a book by Eugene Peterson called Eat This Book, in which he spends a significant amount of time talking about the way in which we read Scripture, to consume it, to bring it inside ourselves in such a way that it transforms who we are. There is a sense here that what we learn will influence our thinking, which in turn influences our will or our behavior. How many of you put something together and decided that you weren't going to read the instruction manual? You don't have to raise hands, I mean, because basically everybody would. Really, I mean, how hard could it be, you say to yourself, I've got this. Maybe it's a late night December, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, building a bike. Or maybe it's summertime building a new grill. Which, by the way, is so significantly difficult that Lowe's has decided to build everybody's grill. You get it built already. So what if you end up with some parts left over? Yeah. Your spouse asks you, are these parts important? And you respond, they're extra. <laughs> but honestly, you have no idea. And you hope, really hope, that it will hold together. Happiness is knowing God's word. Being in God's word every day. Learning his instructions, trusting in them, living by them. When a coworker or fellow student's student asks you to lie or to cheat, do you remember God's word? Does it change your thinking? And your behavior? Do you remind the coworker or your fellow student that God has given us instructions in terms of being to live happy? Do you remind them that that is not what we should do to lie or to cheat? The second point today is what does happiness actually look like? Happiness looks like three things, according to the psalmist. Life, endurance, and significance. Life, endurance, and significance. We read in verse 3, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. It's interesting that the Blackstons actually reference this as it relates to marriage. See, happiness looks like life. The tree imagery is that the tree is alive. It grows in beauty and in splendor. It has a lasting supply of water feeding it and nourishing it. Does that sound familiar to you? The water that makes life what it is meant to be 
is Jesus. In John 4, 7 through 14, that we read for the assurance, Jesus makes it very clear. He says, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw the water and the well is deep. Where do you get living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Our life, our happiness, our joys come from knowing Jesus. He is that living water that brings blessing, that brings happiness. He is the life. Notice also that the leaves on the tree in this imagery do not wither. The tree flourishes and shows no signs of aging or withering. It has endurance. Paul reminds us in Colossians where we draw this endurance, even when times are hard. In Colossians 1.9, it says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Notice the beautiful parallel that Paul is drawing from this very psalm. That is not by accident that these things are connected, both the tree imagery, water imagery, and now the idea that, that is bearing fruit that the tree is consistently bearing fruit in its season. The tree does not wither. Neither does the one who finds his blessing in the Lord Jesus Christ. The final imagery of the tree reveals that the blessed will find their significance in the instruction of the Lord. You see, this tree yielding its fruit in season is fulfilling its purpose as a tree. It was made to do so. It was made in its season to give off its fruit. And we, we were made to love and to serve God. This is the purpose of all God's creatures. The psalmist is saying that in order for a human to know their significance and their purpose, we must know our creator and the instructions that he has given us for our lives. Our purpose, as the tree's purpose is to bear fruit, our purpose, as the Westminster Confession of Faith says, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That, that, my friends, is how we are to be happy. If we were to build this bike like we didn't 
You look at the instructions. We decided, never mind, we've got this. And we're looking at all the parts, and we forget that this, the, the handlebars have to go on a certain way, and it just doesn't look right, but we decide, no, oh, that's probably right. And, and maybe we don't know exactly how to put the chain on, but, but we figure, you know, it kind of looks like this and goes like this, and where do those pedal things go? And we start to try to figure all of this out, just trying to put the pieces together. But because we did not follow the instructions, we find that it does not work correctly. That the bike will never work as it's meant to be. And even the simple things of driving down the street on a beautiful sunny day will be very, very difficult. The bike will not perform its purpose as it was meant to by its designers and the manufacturer. And so, as your son or your daughter drives out of sight and the wheels fall off, I can guarantee you that they will not be happy. Finally, how does the psalmist draw our attention to the significance of the meaning of this psalm? How does he draw our attention to the meaning of all of Scripture? He makes it clear that there are only two ways, life or death, blessed or perish. He does this by contrast in three beautiful ways. If we read verses 4 and 6, we see the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. One idea that the psalmist uses is that the first word is blessed. And the last word of the psalm is perish. Bracketed ideas, starting off with blessed or happiness, ending with perish or death. The psalmist even goes further to use a Hebrew poetic methodology that the first letter of the first word, blessed, is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The last word, the first letter of the last word, perish, is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Making it very clear that this bracketedness is on purpose. It is to draw our attention to offset one versus the other. There is either blessedness or death. It is not to be understood to be one or the other or maybe somewhere in between. He makes it very clear very obvious that it is blessedness or perish, one or the other. He identifies three, some distinct differences between the two. The one who delights in the law of the Lord, he prospers. The one who does not stands in judgment and will perish. A poetic encouragement for some. And a warning for others. Thirdly, 
he uses another beautiful imagery. This time, he uses the idea of the chaff. Verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff the wind drives away. See how he sets opposite these images. The tree is alive. The chaff is not. The tree never withers. The chaff, by its definition, is withered and blows in the wind. The tree fulfills its purpose. The chaff is good for nothing and is meaningless. One or the other. Opposite. Life or death. Meaning and purpose or no meaning and no purpose. Psalm 1 is the foundation of the Psalms. It states quite clearly that what is to follow in the next 149 Psalms and that which has already been written in the five books of Moses and frankly all of Scripture is the law or the instruction of God. It is meant to, for life, to change death to life through the redemptive work of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. This is the whole of God's holy word. He makes a very stark claim of this difference in John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. One or the other. Come to the Father through Christ, faith in him, repentance of our sins, knowing him or not. It is either Jesus or perish. There is no middle ground. So if someone asks you if you want an instruction manual that would guarantee eternal happiness, say to them, I already have one. It's the Bible. I meditate on it every day. Let's pray. Gracious Father, you have given us your word. You have revealed to us who you are, your character, your love, your compassion, your holiness. Father, all these things from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, give us your word, give us your plan for redemption, your plan for calling us back to you renewing all things and bringing about a new heavens and a new earth, a time where there is no pain, there is no sadness, there is only eternal happiness, eternally with you in joy and peace, eternally in your light and in your goodness. We praise you and we thank you for your word. May we know it, may we live by it. And may we share it with others. In Jesus' name, amen.